one of the things about um, children's films that, that I don't know if you've noticed is that oftentimes there's a whole other uh, level of the story or humor taking place in it. And it's kind of funny. My boys are 16 now, but um, when we were watching children's movies back in the day, there would be these times when I would just laugh, and they'd be like, what are you laughing at? Because there's a whole other, like they've gotten to where they, a lot of these movies will have some kind of humor in it for the adults that just flies right over the kids' heads. And then they, they grow older, they see it, and they're like, oh, and they, and they get it. I feel like today's gospel lesson is a little bit like that. Like, it's been told, the story's been told, the, the stuff has been there. And part of what Jesus is doing today is saying there's like a whole other level that you haven't seen and that you need to lean into. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to try to go back to our gospel lesson today and look at what Jesus is saying about this deeper level. And then the final part of the sermon, I want to pivot and try to talk about maybe some ideas about how we try to live it out at sort of a practical level. And if you look at this passage, um, I want to just give a little bit of context for it because I think it's necessary. First of all, the gospel we read today um, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you know the Sermon on the Mount, it's, this, it's probably one of the most famous um, sermons that Jesus gives. It's certainly the longest that we have in the gospels. It's basically three chapters of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's shortly after Jesus has been baptized, gone into the desert, done all that. And then he comes out. And this is part of the teaching that takes place. And as I said before, you know, and, it's, and it's got all this stuff in it that we know. The Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer. And, it's, and some people will say that it has the core of what it means to, to be a disciple. And, and today's passage... The only way you can really, I think, make sense of today's passage and really get into it and understand it is if we back up and read just the passage right before it. Because the passage right before it is kind of laying out, Jesus is kind of laying out his position with respect to the law. And then he's going to start to give some examples of what he's saying. And today's gospel lesson is one of these examples, or a number of these examples, right? So going back um, to Matthew 5, 17 to 20, let me read it. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So this idea that he's, he's not out to, he's not trying to do away with the law. He's not saying the law doesn't matter. He's not putting it in another place. He's saying, I've come to fulfill it. And, in, and part of what he's doing today is he's going to take it to a deeper level that way. And, you know, there have been lots of uh, the ancient saints. I think of John Chrysostom, who lived in the 4th and 5th centuries, who talked about how he felt like what Jesus is saying in this passage is that you've had these lessons, you've had them. But now we want to go to a higher level of understanding these lessons. That's kind of the way that he's seeing it. And that's kind of where I want to go with it today. And, and before we go further with it, is to also stop and think for a minute about how Jesus is speaking in this moment with such authority, right? Because I think we can kind of gloss over this. Like, oh, yeah, it's Jesus. That's what he's going to say. But this was like really out there in some ways, right? I mean, when Jesus began his public ministry, that's already what people were saying in general. If you, if you go look in, elsewhere in Matthew where he's in Capernaum starting to teach, and people who are hearing him are like, you know, wow, he speaks to somebody with authority. Like he's, he's, he's not doing like things we've done in the past. 
He's doing something different. And today that really gets pointed because, you know, a lot of what Jesus is saying today is for the audience at large, but it's also for the Pharisees in particular. And Jews of the time, and certainly the Pharisees of the time, would have said that the law is holy, it's, you know, it's complete, it's this full, it's this full package. And, but Jesus is going to say some really powerful things here because he's going to say, you think you sort of knew what the law was? I'm going to go here with it. Like it's, it's beyond that. You think you've heard it said this? I'm going to say this. And I'll say more about this in a minute. It's in the same direction. It's taking it further. He's not contradicting it in any way. But he's really sort of rattling the cage and throwing some rocks out here because he's saying you, it's beyond what you've thought. You thought you knew it. We've got this down. We know what the law is. He's saying more than that. And the, the rabbi, this is not what the rabbis of the day would have done. The rabbis of the day would have said that the Lord saith, that God say, says this. And they would have quoted some of, the old, uh, some of the older rabbis who were really established in the writings. They would have quoted them. But they would not have said, I say. And that's what Jesus is doing today. So, so the beginning place is to kind of get a perspective that he's really uh, out there, right? So you need to understand the people that are listening to this get it, that he's out there. And the things that he's saying are in the same direction as what the law had explicitly but he's going to go further with it, right? So you think about a number of these examples that we read just a few moments ago. Jesus is saying, you've heard it said you're not to murder. But I'm going further than that. I'm saying you shouldn't even be angry with a certain kind of contemptuous kind of anger. That your thought life really matters. He goes on and gives, says, okay, I'm going to give you another example. You've heard it said you're not supposed to commit adultery. I'm going to tell you that you're... Your thoughts, your desires, your wishes inside should be better than even that. You shouldn't desire these things. You shouldn't want these things. That's where we're headed. Or he'll turn to oaths and say, don't worry about the mechanics of the oath and who you're swearing to. Just be truthful. Go deeper than that. Be a person who's always truth in what you see. He's getting this notion that your thought life, your interior life matter. That your thought life, your desires, your wishes are even more important than your actions. That's where the big part of what he's saying in this, right? And it's taking it to a whole nother level. And we don't have time to go through all of these. Um, I've been told I need to work on my average ser sermon length after the series that we just finished. <laughs> so we're going to make today shorter, but we don't have time to go into them all. But, but when it comes to looking back at the anger thing, Jesus is saying, yeah, don't commit murder. But then when he's talking about, don't even be angry. And he starts to unpack the Greek and what he's saying. The first part of what he's saying is don't have the kind of anger that is about holding on to it and being brooding on it and, being, and seeking how you're figuring out how you're going to get your revenge. And you're just nursing it. It's this selfish kind of anger that you're holding on to. Don't be about that. And he goes on to say, and also don't be about the kind of anger of calling somebody a brainless idiot kind of a thing where you're full of contempt. That's even worse. And don't be about the kind of um, person who, in their anger, is saying words about somebody that's going to destroy their name or their reputation. That's even worse still. One of my favorite um, biblical scholars, William Barclay, summarizes this whole part about what Jesus is saying this way. He says, basically, this is what Jesus is saying. In the old days, people condemned murder 
and truly murder is forever wrong. But I tell you that not only are a person's outward actions under judgment, his or her inmost thoughts are also under scrutiny and the judgment of God. Long-lasting anger is bad. Contemptuous speaking is worse. And the careless or malicious talk which destroys a person's good name is worst of all. This idea that um, Jesus is concerned about what's going on in our hearts. He's concerned about our interior life. It's a big piece to take away from this. And um, what I'd like to do is, and this is, I'm going to go beyond the gospel now. I'm going to stay in scripture, but I'm going to go beyond the gospel. I want to ask the question of how do we deal with this, right? Because when you hear it, it's very challenging. I mean, we get the Ten Commandments and we get the idea that we're not to murder and do these different things. But our interior life of our thoughts, you know, somebody cuts me off in traffic. It's really hard for me not to want to hex them down to, you know, wherever it is. How do we control that? What do we do with that? How do we work on our hearts in a way that take us to a different place? And that's kind of where I want to pivot. And I think the first part of this is to have just a couple things that we acknowledge on it, a few things we acknowledge. The first is that, like, it, we all have sort of a split personality in this department. And I'm going to quote St. Paul in a minute from Romans. But even beyond Scripture, I think you see it in other places. I always think about Plato's um, explanation um, about the soul. And some of y'all remember this from your basic philosophy class. But how he talks about the soul being a charioteer inside of a chariot. And he's out front there and he's, and he's got two horses out in front of him. And one horse is obedient and well-disciplined and, you know, runs the path. And the other one is wild and unruly. And he says the one that's the disciplined, obedient one is, is our reason. And the other one is passion. And that everybody's got this going on. And that part of the deal with the soul is managing these. And, and St. Paul kind of says as much in Romans 7 as well. Because he talks about this struggle going on in his inside. And there are scholars who view Romans 7 di- differently. But you'll get the idea that this is what Paul is talking about, this inner struggle. I'm going to read part of what he says in Romans 7. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. This idea that you get a glimpse of maybe the internal spiritual struggle that takes place. So that, I think that's sort of the beginning place to just kind of own that. That goes on in all of us. And, and the second part of it is to think about this for a moment. If we talk about what Jesus is saying today, that, um, that God is looking in on our thoughts, the only person that can do that is God. The only person that will judge our thoughts is God, because God is the only one who can see it. And we started, Mary said this a few minutes ago, we say at every start of every service, we start the service by saying, this collect for purity, where we, we acknowledge that God sees our hearts, from who, God from whom no secrets are hid. You know, this idea that, um, that he sees every single thought that takes place within us. And I think there's some comfort in that. Because I think when we start, you know, like I don't, I don't think this passage should be something we read to beat ourselves up with. Because God is the one who sees, God's the one who judges, and God is the one who loves us so much. God is the one who calls us the beloved. God is the one who calls us his children. God's the one who's full of love and mercy and grace. So I think we really, really hold on to that as we come into all this. And we know we don't get this right all the time. 
But I want to add with that that I also think we want to make sure that we still know that it matters, right? Because St. Paul will say elsewhere in Scripture when he's talking about how wonderful grace is and how it covers all the stuff we do wrong, he'll say, oh, should, should we send them more that there'll be more grace to cover us? And he's like, oh, heck no, we're not doing that. And I think, and we're fair to our gospel lesson today, Jesus, I think, is surely is speaking in hyperbole in a lot of this, but I think he's doing it to, to make the point about how serious this is, right? If your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I mean, he's speaking in hyperbole, but there's no way we should read this and think, oh, God of love, mercy, and grace, we don't need to worry about whether we're developing our conscience and our interior life in a way where sin matters and where, where, where we're trying to have the right thoughts and the right desires and all of this, right? So I think that's sort of the second piece that we hold on to. Uh, the third thing I would say is, is just to be honest, I suspect there's no one in this room that's a murderer. But I also suspect that every single person in this room has had thoughts that have taken them over the line. I certainly have. But this idea that whether it's lust or whether it's anger that goes beyond the line or whatever it is, we've all done that. So let's just own that. Just stop trying to, you know, if you're a Pharisee that Jesus is in part talking to, I think we've got to just know the interior life matters and we've all been there. We've all, we all go to these places. What I want to do then is, is turn and ask this question a little bit more. What do we do with it then? And I want to say that, um, you know, one of the things, I met with a, a good friend of mine who's, who's got the most unique job, I think, of anybody I know. And I won't go into the circumstances of how he got this job, but he's basically an independent men's minister for the last 20-something years. And I had lunch with him recently, and we were talking about this sermon. We were talking about some other stuff in the interior life. And he was kind of commenting to me about how tempting it is for people to, to read a passage like this and then come before people and say, you just need to double down and say, I'm into the moral life. You need to be stronger and do this. And he's like, that just doesn't go anywhere. He, he's more like, you need to look at this from a different perspective of living in, in some kind of harmony with God's grace and letting God live more in us and letting God work his way through us. You know, part of the, those who've done the 12 steps know that it's reaching out to a power beyond you to help you live in ways you cannot live. And that's part of what this is. And St. Paul in Galatians 2 I think talks about this because he'll say it's, that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And that's sort of the place we're trying to get to. That it's not, it's not, if the only way this is going to happen, it's not because I'm going to learn how to do it or I'm going to get more resolve. It's because I'm going to surrender more and God's going to live it in me. And we get places like Hebrews 10 where God will talk about writing his law in our hearts, following up on Jeremiah 31, this proclamation that the day is going to come when the law is going to be written on our hearts. This idea that if we let the Holy Spirit do it, the Holy Spirit will come in to live in us in a way that will change us, right? I've heard other people say sometimes that our spiritual life, the Holy Spirit will just love you and welcome you just the way you are, but will love you enough not to let you stay there. It's going to, the Holy Spirit will keep moving us. If we surrender and we let the Holy Spirit continue to work in us. The Holy Spirit will convict, will convict us of the things that we're doing wrong that we need to work on. But it's the Holy Spirit in us, not some resolve that we find out. I heard this story the other day, um, which I love, and I'm going to repeat. 
This is a story told by a woman named Carol Lee. She, she's a grandmother, and she talked about when her six-year-old daughter was sick, uh, granddaughter was sick, she had a fever, and so her daughter asked her if she would take her to the pediatrician, which she was glad to do. So she took her to the pediatrician, and the pediatrician sounded like he was a character. So he comes in the room to check her out, and he, he gets out the scope, whatever you call it, and he looks into the ear, and he says, oh, is Donald Duck in here? And she says, oh, no, no, and she laughs and giggles, and he, he looks up her nostrils with it and says, is Mickey Mouse in here? And she's like, no, no, no. And then he gets out the stethoscope and listens to her heart. And he says, is Barney in here? And she answers back, apparently a good Sunday school student at this age. She answered back and said, no, Jesus is in there. (laughs) Barney is on my underwear. (laughs) But this idea that what we're ultimately talking about is, is letting God live in us. And so part of our question and my meditation I want to leave you with for this week is, is thinking about how do, we, how do we allow God to live more in us? And I think there are lots of ways we do that. I remember listening to the Bishop of London speak once to a, a group studying theology, and he encouraged everybody in the room to learn as much scripture as you can because he said the Holy Spirit will use that. He'll, he'll, the, Holy, the Holy Spirit will bring it to mind at, at different times and will nurture it in you and help you give those thoughts. And I think, too, about St. Paul talking about sort of the diet that we have in our minds in the same way. Because if you remember in Philippians 4, St. Paul will say, will, will tell us, you know, whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is noble, all these different things, think about those things. And God's going to use it in you. Like, so think about all these good things. So he's kind of saying, look at, the, look at the diet your brain is on and make sure you're feeding it with good things because that's definitely part of it. And along with that, St. Paul will later say, don't quench the spirit. And part of the question I think we always have to ask is what are we doing that, that quenches the spirit, that keeps God from having full reign in our hearts that way? Um, I'm going to end with a story uh, from a, one of our, the famous preachers I'll say today is John Ortberg, who's a great preacher. And um, J- John Ortberg says that um, he describes the spiritual life this way, and I, and I like what he says with it. But he, he says... That part of the spiritual journey, you can think of it as like crossing an ocean. And, and you're going to cross this ocean this way. And he said, there are people who know this. They've been told, okay, cross the ocean. They get in a rowboat and they start rowing. And they think they're going to do it all themselves. And he's like, hmm. And there are people, he says, who just get into the water and float. And they expect the Holy Spirit and the currents just to take them all the way and do it. And he says, no, I think... I think it's something in between those. And drawing upon one of parts of John's gospel about the Holy Spirit being the wind that blows, he says he thinks the right way to look at it is that the Holy Spirit is the wind and we're in a sailboat. And our job is to cooperate with the Spirit. Put up the sails, do the stuff. It's the wind that's actually going to move us. But, we, but he calls us to cooperate. So when we think about developing this interior life in us that's going to help us form our desires, our question is, are we putting up our cells? Are we quenching? Are we cooperating? Where are we with all that? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for loving us just like we are. Whatever we do, where we've been, whatever thoughts we have, we also thank that you love us enough to not want to leave us there. Lord, help us to put out our cells, to cooperate with your spirit, to invite you fully into our hearts that we can live at a deeper level 
that will lead us to flourish in you and to glorify you in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.